What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. And welcome to Burn It All Down, the feminist sports podcast that we hope by now you both want and need. My name is Lindsay Gibbs. I'm the sports reporter at Think Progress, but my most important role is guiding this ship of flamethrowers. Today, joining me are three of my lovely co-hosts, Jessica Luther, freelance author in Austin, Texas. Hey, Jess. Hi. Hi. (laughs) <laughs> We've got Shireen Ahmed up there in Canada. How are you, Shireen? Game day, Raptors ready. Oh, <laughs> right. I, I shouldn't. Should I just introduce you as Kawhi Leonard's mother now? Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Kawhi Leonard's mother and sports reporter, Shireen Ahmed. <laughs> and then the birds chirping herself, Dr. Brenda Elsie in coming to us from apparently Cinderella's bedroom. How are you today? <laughs> Charmed. <laughs> to explain our inside joke before, right before we started recording, I was like, do I hear birds chirping? And Brenda goes, oh, let me go close my window. <laughs> I am in the beautiful Hudson Valley, New York. <laughs> and then she goes, I don't even notice them anymore, which is just the most ridiculous thing. <laughs> Okay. All right. Sorry. I'm I'm in a mood today. Anyways, we're so excited that you are all here with us. Especially want to thank our Patreons who are just making sure that we can do this podcast each and every week. If you too want to become a flamethrower and get access to exclusive flamethrower only content and including newsletters and extra podcast segments, then please go to patreon.com slash burn it all down and subscribe. You don't have to put much. $2 a month will start getting you rewards. It's it's pretty it's pretty accessible, pretty affordable, and a pretty great way to support intersectional feminist media, which, you know, is needed. Today we are going all in on the Women's World Cup, which starts this week finally. And so we're just going to do a big roundtable preview section. You can go back if you've missed it, our last two episodes. And I think Jess is editing this together into a hot take. We previewed all of the groups. So you can go back and listen to this. Today, we're going to give an overall preview. And we have two phenomenal interviews. We have Shireen's interview with Ayasat Yusuf, who is a former Nigerian international and Olympian. She's a decorated Super Falcon who is now working as a coach and educator with grassroots soccer communities in Finland. And she spoke with Shireen from Helsinki. And then Jessica talks with Julie Faldi, former captain of the U.S. Women's National Team, a two-time World Cup champion and two-time Olympic gold medalist about the 1999 World Cup, what needs to change in women's soccer and predictions for this year's cup. So 
hopefully that will keep you listening. First of all, though, I really quickly, it was a tough day at the French Open yesterday. Both Serena Williams and Naomi Osaka lost. Serena fell to American Sophia Kennan, who played really, really well. And, you know, that was impressive. She's only 20 years old. And then uh, Siniakova, a player from the Czech Republic who's 23 years old, has wild and crazy curly hair that I love and also a fun game to match. But it was hard to see both Osaka and Serena lose. Jess, do you have any thoughts and feelings about this? Uh, Always. You know, yeah, I was sad that they both went out. I like watching them play. I also wasn't surprised either. I mean, Osaka sort of had a rough run into the French Open and Serena's barely played (laughs) this year. So, and the other thing, you know, Roland Garros more than the other three on grass and hard courts, you kind of, as a tennis fan, come to expect the unexpected. Players you've never heard of making it deep. So on some level, I feel like I'm just used to it. So I I wasn't surprised, though. I definitely was disappointed. I mean, Pliskova going out early, too. She won Rome. She was second seed. But the person that she went out to, Martic, is now into the quarterfinals, right? Um, So I don't know. It's been kind of wild to watch. But we still have, I mean... By the time you guys hear this, we'll know the outcome. But Sloane Stevens is playing a Muguruza today. Maybe right now. I have no idea. But Which could be a final. I mean, that could be the yeah, final. Yeah, that could it's be ridiculous. the final. So we still have, yeah. you know, incredible players left in this Grand Slam. But yeah, I love Osaka and I love Serena. So definitely sad. Yeah, I would say I was, to echo your point, I was more surprised that Pliskova went out and then of course, before the tournament, um, Petra Kvitova had to oh, withdraw, which was sad. That made me sad. Injury. And then Kiki yeah. Burton's had, yeah, Kiki Burton's, who had had such a great clay season and was up to number four in the world, she had to uh, retire from her match. So, you know, for me, it's almost more surprising after the clay seasons they've had that Kvitova, Pliskova, and Burton's aren't in the second week. But uh, you know, let's keep an eye on Simona Halep because I think there's exciting things to come. You know, she's a defending champion. Shireen, Brenda, any any thoughts and feelings? I know you're tennis fiends. So. <laughs> I actually normally would be probably, you know, especially because of you two. But I have to tell you, I'm kind of laser focused on the Women's World Cup. I, 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 yeah. I think that's what <laughs> I think that's, it's like all I'm doing right now. I, think that's understandable. Shereen? Yeah, I can my only contribution to this is that I loved Serena's outfit and that it was oh, she had like yes. ugh, and the fact she had a matching one with Olympia just made me swoon. Oh, yeah. So like yeah. that's not a technical analysis by any means, <laughs> but it's it's my contribution that I, I stand her. I also obviously am rooting for Naomi Osaka and Serena in every aspect of their lives. And I'm sad they went out, but I'm also like Brenda. I'm super laser focused. The Champs League is over for men and it was boring AF. So now I can really focus on the important football. So that's what's happening. That makes sense. And yes, we support Serena and Naomi. And part of supporting is knowing that they're not superhumans and can't win all the time. So, uh, you know, we hope that they rest up and I'm excited to see them both at Wimbledon. Okay, you know, it's that time, Women's World Cup. It is safe to say that we are a little bit excited (laughs) here at (laughs) Burn It All Down. Is that, am I overstating that, Brenda? Uh, Yes. (laughs) 
<laughs> so look, we're going to give hopefully everybody an overview. Hopefully this is going to be something that will be fun for the diehards like Shireen and Brenda, and also informative to those of us who are slightly more casual fans like myself. So hopefully there's gonna be a little bit in this discussion for everyone. Let's just start with kind of what are the biggest storylines you all have on your radar going into this month? Um, Brenda, you want to get us started? You know, I'm pretty dedicated to watching the South American teams. And so one of the biggest storylines is just going to be, can Brazil keep up with its talent? Like, can its talent do anything given the fact that their coach seems like hell bent on not using it correctly? I'll also be super interested in Japan and this generation of young players. Other things is how they're going to, how the Netherlands is going to do how they're going to talk about Ada Hergerberg not being there because of her protest about unequal tre- treatment by the Federation. I'm so interested how how they're going to handle that. You know, so those are some of the storylines quickly for me. I mean, the U.S. is always a storyline for everybody but me, pretty much. <laughs> they're good. <That's laughs> I don't fair. hate them. I don't hate them, you know, but it's like there'll be no lack of coverage <laughs> A lot of people have thrown out Julie Ertz as being somebody to watch. I I don't see it. I just I just don't see it. I don't know what other people think. So the U.S. will always be a big storyline because this is where we are and because they're so legendary and important and in global soccer. I hope against hope one of the storylines is Nigeria getting through their group. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that would be so incredible. Jess? You know, it's so funny, the USA and everything Brenda just said, because, you know, I've had multiple editors tell me on like, that's the one women's sports story that will get all the clicks is the US women's national team. So you should expect wall to wall coverage of that. You know, I'm really as a more casual fan than Brenda and Shereen. I'm just really interested in how good and competitive this women's World Cup is going to be. I think we're going to get surprises and upsets that are going to be thrilling in the fact that the game has just grown so much and that these teams are just so much better than we've ever seen. And I'm, I'm very excited about it. I also had written down, you know, we're going to be talking about pay equity and equity between the men and women's games. And that was a really good point, Brenda. Like, how will they talk about Hergerberg? And will she be vilified? We've already seen a little bit of that, even from like U.S. women's national players and sort of their questioning of her commitment to her national team. So what will that coverage actually look like? I think that'll be really interesting. I totally agree. Shereen? I am probably a little more generous with the U.S. women's national team than Brenda is, ironically. Oh, <laughs> I think... I think... Not ungenerous. <laughs> uh, no, I think there's a lot of interesting storylines, but none around necessarily. Um, like, I don't want their pay equity thing to be a laser focus because for me, what ends up happening is that it takes away from all the other struggles of everybody else in the world. And it becomes a central theme. And historically, I think sometimes people forget this, that in 2011, the Canadian women's national team actually sued Canadian soccer, but we don't see that anywhere. We don't see that listed and and, you know, we're not too far from the USA. So, like, I think historically it's sort of like the drive that the U.S. women have, and I respect them for it, like having to, like, fight your employer as you go forward to represent your country. I mean, that's mind-boggling to me. Like, and they push through and they persevere. Uh, some other storylines that I'm hoping to push with my writing and my analyses are definitely not to forget, and this is something I'm going to die on this hill, not to forget the other federation teams that are not there and what we have to do for me 
this isn't a culmination of everything. This is just a stepping stone of what we have to do next. And this particular World Cup is very different from 2015 in terms of the coverage and the wall-to-wall coverage that Jess alluded to as well. Yes, the U.S. will get clicks, and that's what gets clicks. But, I mean, there's a lot of responsibility in media. I'm, I'm not, I don't have a high bar for U.S. media, except for, like, Jess, in terms of writing, in terms of nuance. Because we know where the clicks will be. You know what readers want to read. It's not necessarily what I want to see. But then again, like I get my coverage from a lot of, a lot of other places. Um, in terms of upsets, I mean, New Zealand beat England yesterday in a friendly. If that's not an upset, I don't know what is. And that's just a pre-tournament friendly. So I think we'll be looking for some really interesting things in terms of upsets. We'll probably, I hope that upsets and game results are the biggest storylines here as well, in addition to like the social issues that need to be spoken about. Absolutely. And that's what I was going to say is, I mean, look, I my full time job is literally to write about social justice issues in sports, you know, so there's, it's understandable why I kind of get a pass (laughs) in that aspect, whereas because like, my preview for a political news site is going to be based on kind of the fights that are going around globally for equity in women's soccer. And, you know, that's going to be work-wise, I think, progress, what I'm focused on. But what I'm hoping is that media in general puts an equal, if not higher, (laughs) importance right now on the sport itself and on these athletes and on the accomplishments. You know, I want to see lots of these amazing goals going viral, you know, like I want to see uh, these personalities, the the tensions, the the fights, the even the uglier moments, which happen right during the during competition. I want to see those talked and debated and see who was right and who was wrong. You know, I want to see it talked about like a sport full, you know, a full body discussion. And that includes the social impact we know, like you can't separate it. But it also includes, wow, that goaltender missed that, you know, save. What does this do to that goaltender's legacy? Right? Like it includes those conversations. It's goalkeeper goaltender is hockey. So just thank you. Wow. It's goalkeeper. I have a hard time with that one too, Lindy. I'm always getting it. <laughs> uh, uh, listen, I, I said up front, more casual fan here. So <laughs> <laughs> totally fair. Totally fair. And, and hockey's on my mind. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, mixed sports uh, <laughs> positions aside, that's what I want to see. You know, I want to see us talking about these women as full bodied, you know, full of a full bodied picture of what's happening. And, and that's what I'm hoping I'm going to be really watching the media and seeing how the media handles this, knowing that, you know, there's an end to it, which is the U S women's team that gets clicks. And I think that's fine. I understand that, but use that leverage, right. To shine a light on the rest of the game and the game as a whole. So I guess my storyline is just kind of like my, my hopes and wishes uh, for the coverage as um, you can kind of see where my mind is. Let's keep going here. What are the matches you're most looking forward to in these group stages? Uh, Shireen? Anytime Nigeria plays 
I'm really excited about that. Asisat Oshuala, who's recently been re-signed to Barcelona. She was on loan. She's incredible. She was the only goal they scored in the Champs League final. And I think she's totally underrated. She is actually recovering from a shoulder injury. So I'm really, really looking forward to seeing her. Also, anytime Canada plays, because my country gets really happy and we deserve this joy. Also, I think I'm excited. I'm excited about Scotland. And I'm not going to apologize for this, Brenda. I'm excited yeah. about that. I'm excited about seeing <laughs> this. This is a sort Whatever. of like a, it's, it's, it's a continuation of our hot take in New York City that we did with, uh, with Steph Yang. I'm excited about a lot of things. I love watching Japan play. Like my heart, my footballer heart literally is at peace watching them. I'm excited for China because I think they're going to be in a, a possible upset. I think they're going to fight a lot harder than anyone will ever give them credit for. I'm excited about that. I'm not really excited to watch Thailand play the U.S. because it's going to be a little bit brutal. I really hope I find myself wrong here, but that's it. And in terms of that, like those are the games that I'm, the matches rather, that I'm so excited to see. And I'm excited to just revel in women's football. Well, I mean, I share with Shireen some of the excited but um, cautious feelings. I'm excited to see Brazil, Italy play. I think the Italian team is a bit underrated. And I think Brazil is probably a bit overrated in rankings. Um, Sadly, stabbed my heart to say it. I appreciate you, Brenda. That was hard, but it was true. Yeah, I know. I'm nauseous, but it's true. And I'm pretty psyched about that game just because I'm I'm going and and it just seems amazing. I'll also be really excited to see Chile US and um, because I'll be going with my daughters who have both passports and they're like the same colors. And it's the first time Chile will be in the World Cup. And I really think, you know, it's it's a tough, it's, it's a really tough team to imagine getting through their group, like impossible. But you never know. And I think it's just amazing that they're going to be playing. So I'm really excited to just see them take the field because the fact that they're there is all because of their own work, as opposed to any support that they've ever been given. And there's a couple mothers on the team. And I love that, like that had babies in 2014, 2015. So there's some great stories. So even if they lose, I don't care. I kind of, well, I will care, but I'm bracing myself. I love that. I'm personally excited for everything, but Brazil versus Australia, I think just because there's going to be a lot of legends on that field at the same time. (laughs) Let me see some Sam Kerr, Marta uh, moments. And so I think that that's just going to be an electric uh, match. And then, you know, I honestly think the opener has a chance to be fun. Yeah. I-, I think it's going to be close. I'm not going to predict the upset there, but I think it's going to be close. And I'm just excited to see the atmosphere, see how the French crowd is supporting the team, see, you know, w- what what is this going to be like? You know, how 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 is France going to show up for the women? So I think that's going to be that that's on my radar. Jess? Yeah, so when I was prepping this one, I kept adding games. I was like, I'm excited about this, and I'm excited. But um, so I'm trying to narrow it down now. I also had France and South Korea in the opener, in part because South Korea was staunt, like their defense was really good coming into the World Cup. So it'll be interesting just to see the French offense versus the South Korea defense in the opening game. I do have England and Scotland, and less of their historic rivals, but also I'm just I am interested to see what the Scotland team can do, and I think going up against England will give us a good sign of the potential to get out of the out of the group. I also have England and Japan 
Because the last meeting of England and Japan was Laura Bassett with the own goal in stoppage to send Japan to the win, right? So or to the final. And so I just think seeing those two teams on the field again, it will be very exciting. I have Canada and the Netherlands because when the Netherlands made their debut in the last World Cup. There was a draw since then. Netherlands has won the Euros. They're going up against a very good Canadian team. Like We'll get to know a lot about both of those teams. And then I also had Chile versus the USA. Um, I'm ex- Brenda has made me very excited to see what this team can do and to go up against a powerhouse like the USA. Again, I just feel like we'll learn so much about both those teams in that match. And I get to go. So I'm thrilled. Yay. Gosh, that's just the ultimate trump card. <laughs> Can I can I actually add, and I'm gonna throw this down. I'm really looking forward to Nadeshko versus Argentina. I will be wearing an Argentina Mm -hmm. jersey, but more Mm -hmm. importantly, I will be cuddling with Jessica Luthera as I watch this Mm -hmm. match. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No, I'm not I'm I'm not. I'm I'm gonna watch that through like the you know, peering through my hands. (laughs) <laughs> um, over my eyes. That's yeah. that's not making this easy for me. Talking about being together and watching these all in person. So yeah, this is getting tough. But let's keep going because we're <laughs> professionals. In case you all haven't picked up on this, I am not going to be in France for the Women's World Cup, and my three esteemed co-hosts here all are going to be at certain points. So I'm a little bit bitter, Betty, right now. I'm not even going to lie. So. You know, we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but is there any underrated, undervalued, you know, underappreciated team that you think could make it to the knockout rounds? Brenda, who should we keep our eye on? Uh, Nigeria. Awesome. That's what I'm going for. Um, But to be honest with you, all these groups, it's tough to imagine the people, the teams that you don't think are going to go through, not go through. Yeah. It's just the shakedown of it. To me, it looks kind of obvious, unfortunately. And, but I'm going to say Nigeria. And there will be a few th- few third place ones too. So, because that's, you know, there's uh, 24 teams in it and 16 make it to the knockout round. So there's there's going to be a few groups yeah. where yeah. the third place even gets in. So I say Nigeria is one that I don't hear a lot about. I think Sharina and I share this. Yeah, yeah, we um, do. Prediction probably. Yeah, we do. I, I think they're the, they're definitely the strongest team from Africa. There's no question. But I actually think in view of they're significantly stronger in some regards than some of the South American teams as well. So we'll, you know, We'll see what happens. And my answer to this is that it's an underrated team, but it's not a weak team or less strong team, rather, is Australia. I think Australia is going to butcher people on the pitch. And I'm going to jump to the next question really quickly, and that's because my golden boot contender is Sam Kerr, 100%. I think there will be slaughter from Australia, and they're not ranked super high. The Matildas have been quietly toiling down under. They are ready. Their entire country is ready. Like they are so ready for this. And that's who I think, I, like I said, they're not underrated, but they're going to plow through everybody. Yeah. I wouldn't say underrated by any means. Yeah. And the last couple friendlies haven't been great. Sam Kerr hasn't looked, hasn't looked yeah. on form, but, but she's so amazing that I agree with Shereen that she could just, when she wants, she could just light up. Well, we could talk you about know? lack of consistency because yesterday, like yeah. I said, England lost to New Zealand. So like, they're not going to be hundred percent consistent all the time. It's just, just matters at crunch time. We'll see what happens. Yeah. So yeah. Shereen, those are yours. And I'm 
I won't knock you points for, for skipping <laughs> categories. Uh, <laughs> Jess, any, anybody you got your eye on? <laughs> That's interesting about Australia because I do think it'll be interesting to see how they come out the gate because I feel like it could go either way for them at this point. Yeah, I mean, did on- anybody see their game yesterday with the Netherlands? Was it yesterday with the Netherlands that they lost 3-0? Yeah, I mean, I, f- I feel like something, it really will depend. Lose? Yeah, yeah, it was something. They have not done well in their recent friendlies. So they're they're interesting. I I don't know. Like, I just feel like I don't know. I found this one to be one of the most difficult questions because, like we just mentioned, New Zealand beat England. So I, I can't say, do I think New Zealand will get out of the group stage? No, but I don't know. I don't know how to discount anyone, really. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't have a good answer. No, that's fine. I mean, New Zealand, I think, is is my kind of long shot that I would say might be able to get one of those third, you know, uh, uh, third spots. But it, yeah, I agree that it, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be tough for for anyone. But I, I'm just excited to see. And, and I think I think I like Nigeria. I think that's a good a good one to be rooting for. All right. Golden Boots. Anybody have anyone other than Sam Kerr, who also, <laughs> I must say, was my <laughs> my pick for a Golden Boot contender? Brenda, anything to add? You know, I mean, probably somebody from the U.S. could do it. Yeah. Alex yeah, Morgan, maybe. Had whoever <laughs> scores the most goals. For the USA, that person. It's like, <laughs> it depends on how far every team gets, right? Yeah, that's so, so I important. Mean, if we're just going to look at, like, raw talent or something, you know, or, like, who could if they stay in the longest, that's – the question is, you know, I think the reason Sam Kerr, like, appears is not only because of her brilliance, and she is, but also because we expect her to be able to play a number of games. So that's going to be – that's going to be it. I mean, France? I mean, I, does anybody think anybody from France might? Right now, Eugenie Le Sommet is not 100%. Like, she's she's yeah. was out. And, I mean, Amandine Henrichor, I don't see anybody specifically. Like, Wendy Renal is not the highest scorer on that team. And so I'm sort of reluctant to say, no, I think France, France will do amazing as a collective unit. I mean, and I mean Nikita Paris, I would love to see her because I really like her as a player. Like, I really think she's a strong player. Golden Boot is a big thing, though. So, yeah. I, I mean, I could, I could say, of course, I want to say Christine's Sinclair, but I just need Sin to do like five goals for me and get rid of Wombach and I'm good. So I don't even want the golden boot for her. Like I, That's I, just vengeance. That's just me. Yeah, I'm Poor okay. If, if, I, if I feel like Abby Wombach is a xenophobe, then I'm okay with my vengeance. So <laughs> I will just say that. So um, like I would love to see, uh, yeah, Nikita Paris, I would love to see that happen, but I don't know if it will. Yeah. Yeah. Or like Ashwala. Right. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Exactly. there's no reason she couldn't bang in, yeah. you know, seven, right. eight breakthrough player but the issue is, will they get through? Can can I add maybe a possible outside person yes. for Golden Boot, depending on how far the Netherlands gets? Yes. Yeah. Vivian Medima, is that how you say her last name? I mean, she plays for Arsenal. I looked this up. I'm like, ready, guys. She plays for Arsenal. She had 53 goals in international play since 2013. And at the Euros 2017, which the Netherlands won, she scored a winning goal in the semifinal against England and two goals against Denmark in the final. So, I, you know, depends, again, how this all works out, right? They are playing Cameroon in um, in group. Depends on how New Zealand shows up in group. Like, the potential for a very good 
uh, striker from the Netherlands if they go deep enough. So I'm going to just throw out Medima just as a possibility, but it's so hard to say. That's I a, like that, Jess. That's I like a, that. That's a fantastic add. And I think like addition, and I think what's really interesting here, and Lindsay, just getting back to what I said about underrated versus not as loudly toted, because I think the same thing of the Dutch. I think Shanice Vanderson and his really dangerous on the pitch. She's an incredibly tough playmaker. They're smart. They're from the land of Johan Cruyff. And I just, the orange are very, Leaky Martins is on uh, the Dutch team. Again, they're incredibly strong. They're Euro champs. Yeah, I agree with Jess 100%. That's awesome. I think Alex Morgan's going to have a really, I mean, this isn't a crazy, a wild prediction or anything, but I just think, you know, she she wasn't feeling well. She wasn't fully healthy in 2015. And She's talked about how she, even though she was so happy for the win, she was frustrated personally because she didn't get to play her best on the biggest stage. So I think that, you know, she's going to be focused on doing that, you know, this time around. I think one of the challenges for her will be the how actually known her game yeah. is. Like, That's interesting. Like yeah. scouted and picked apart by different defenses. So it'll be interesting, hmm. you know, how she approaches it because she's one of the easiest players to to, to figure out. Yeah, she is. Yeah. She d- down the line, cut in from the corner, cross it. Yeah, that's exactly. And and even on set plays with Pino taking the corner yep. kicks, we know where we know. I know exactly where Morgan is in the box every yep. single time. So and she's so good at doing that. Yeah, but it's is. so it's just a question of like. How much homework have those other teams done and how how are they able to respond to her talent? Yeah. Basically. All right. This is, I think, my favorite category, which is breakthrough player. And we can all take this as we want it. Um, I think for me, this isn't necessarily players that nobody has heard of, <laughs> or but it's just players that haven't had that casual fans might not have heard of that you know, might not have gotten the, you know, weren't around last World Cup, maybe. And, you know, this, this could be a huge, huge moment for them individually. So I think, but also, you could go with just players who, you know, haven't really done much up to this point and, and are poised to do a lot now. So everyone just take this as you want. Uh, Jess, who are your breakthrough players? (laughs) Yay, I get to go first. I'm going to yeah. choose Khadija Bunny <laughs> Shaw from Jamaica. Oh, yeah. That's the I know. Ha-ha. Oh, yeah. I got to go first. Thanks, Linz. I appreciate that. So she's phenomenal. She played for Jamaica's U15, U17, and U20 teams simultaneously until she moved up to the senior rank. And she's just really good. She's the first football player from Jamaica and the Caribbean to sign with Nike. I mean, and I think Jamaica from me too is going to get a bunch of press like there's going to be a lot of attention on them they are the first caribbean team to qualify for the women's world cup they are an amazing story obviously we featured them multiple times on this program i think she's going to show up for her team and there's going to be a spotlight on them already and so i just think she's going to have a moment i totally agree with that everything you said go bren I'm going to take, uh, if she's healthy, Christiane Endler, the keeper for Chile. She plays at PSG. She is phenomenal. Phenomenal. She has some defenders in front of her that are five foot tall, 
Like oh, her wow. job is hard. Her, her job is hard. And she is a shining, shining, shining star. She kept Germany to two goals in the last friendly versus Chile, even with a really hurt knee. I'm hoping that she's healthy. If she is healthy, I think she is one of the most talented players that will be in the World Cup. Whether she will be able to to do that, she's going to be up against way talent. But, oh, my God, I'm rooting for her. Oh, I love that. Shireen? Well, uh, Jessica took mine with Bunny Shaw. Same. Um, I, I, I think that um, I'm just – I think what I'm going to say here is a little bit unconventional in that Jessica McDonald of the U.S. is the first time on the squad. Look and at you. I know. Yes. I know. She is not a – she's not – okay, when we talk about breakthrough, that's not age-related because Jessica mm-hmm. McDonald is 31. But I saw her play in person with the North Carolina Courage and – Everything about her says she's ready for this moment. And I'm not sure. She's not a starting forward for the U.S. women's team. But this, I would hedge my bets on Jessica McDonald. I think she's incredibly intimidating on the pitch. Like, she's just, she's she's pretty phenomenal. So I'm going to actually... I'm going to actually go there. I also, I'm also going to say Georgia Stanway of England. Uh, she's 20. She yeah. is. That's uh, what the Guardian kind yeah. of was pushing to. Yeah, she is. Uh, she's pretty. She's she's not as experienced, obviously, as like the Lucy Bronzes and the other people on the team, Steph Houghton's. But I think she's she's pretty formidable. And I. I, I mean, she's she's actually on Manchester City, and she's got experience in the Europe League, European League, which I think is going to shine through this tournament. I think this is a tournament where we'll. Do you see think European she'll get minutes, Shireen? I don't know because she's not first line. She's not starting, but I hope so. I think in the group stages and second halves, maybe we'll see some switches. I would love to see her get her hands on the ball. Like I'd love to see her get, you know, get in there and get some play time. But she's one that I would watch. I think so. I, I don't want to do more than two because I'm trying to stay focused and I haven't been and I've been rowdy for Lindsay. So I don't want to be rowdy. You've been, you've been perfect, Shereen. I'm uh, so yeah. Just and can I? Can I just say Saki Kumagai just because I want to say her name because I love her. She's not a she's not a breakthrough. She's a champion and I love her. I just want to say her name, yeah. Saki Kumagai. It's interesting. <laughs> you were talking about Jess McDonald and actually uh, this is name drop time. I had a quick interview with Brianna Scurry the other day and and she told me, she said, I took Jess McDonald aside and I told her, you are going to have a moment. I don't know when, but there is going to come a time when your team needs you and you are going to be there and you are going to step up. And so, uh, you know, the great Brianna Scurry has her eyes on Jess McDonald too, Shireen. And I want to add, uh, you know, talking about the U.S. team, this, I think she's too too big of a name to be maybe a breakthrough player, but, you know, Crystal Dunn was left off the last, the 2015 squad. And I'm really excited for Crystal Dunn to get her World Cup moment and i think she's going to make a lot of it uh jess yeah i had one more that i another possibly from i don't know outside we haven't talked about spain a lot and they have potential i'll just spoil a little bit of what's coming up with julie fowdy but she likes them a lot and how do you say it is it jenny hermosa henny hermosa henny 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 isn't she henny Henny hermosa Mm -hmm. i mean she could be scoring a bunch and you know if spain goes far enough i feel like she might have a moment on this international stage so that's my outside pick for breakthrough yeah. do we think dabina could have some moments uh bren yeah i 
The frustrating thing right now for me is that that team could could field 14 right. forwards. Yeah. And I don't know how Vajau is going to use her. She's used differently on the national team than the, than she is on the okay. Courage. Yeah. That, yeah, that's why I'm asking because I've liked her on the Courage so much. So I'm just kind of wondering, but you would know more than I do. I, I do too. And she's in really good shape and really good form. And I think she's about 27, you know, so she has experience, but she's also got a lot of legs. And I'd love to see her do well. It, it all depends on kind of, at this point, Marta doesn't have a position anymore. She just does whatever she wants, um, I think. Do you know what I mean? Like in the last World Cup, they were forcing her way up top and it was too, too up top because she can be a deeper playmaker than that. And they suffered from it. So I don't know what they'll do with Dabinia because she's usually, she's usually kind of hanging around on that right side. So yeah, I think it depends on how Vidal uses her. She could have a wonderful tournament on Andresa Alves or Andresina. Any of them could break out at any moment. Thank you for uh, answering that for me as you know because I yeah I see these players in WSL and you're like why aren't they doing you know other things like why aren't I hearing more about them and then of course there's just so much nuance and so much you know every team is so different uh, from on the international stage and so it's, it's it's kind of hard to put it all together all right so I just just finish up personally like you all tell tell me where you're going to be in France tell our flamethrowers where to kind of be on the lookout for you and how are you watching uh, Bren I'm going to be in France from the 14th to the 22nd you can see a sort of longer preview of the Brazil team that I did for SB Nation that's coming out next week probably you can find me writing sometimes for the equalizer and you know I'm not a huge Twitter person but like I mean, I I try, <laughs> so we'll try to give little Comeball updates. But yeah, and also I gotta plug the Fair Diversity House because Shireen's gonna be speaking there, Jess is gonna be there, I'm gonna be there, so you can also see us. That is awesome. Uh, once again, jealous. This is gonna be a hard segment for me, Shireen. Yeah, I'm going to be there. I leave Toronto on the 9th June and I will arrive fresh Monday morning and I will be attending Argentina, Japan that night with Jessica Luther. You might have heard of her. And I will be eating a lot of carbs while I'm there. And I will be going, I'm basically going to follow Jessica for her media stuff. And then going to come back. I'm hoping to connect with some really good friends like Roxanne Kush. I'm hoping to connect with Asya Hamdi. I'm hoping to connect with my friends at Les Degomos. It's a French grassroots football club and I love them and they're brilliant and uh, hoping to meet with people there. And then on Thursday, I actually have a panel that hasn't been publicly announced, but it is there. It's it has to be there because I'm going. And it's going to be on something that is very important to me and very, very timely. And it's going to be on the history of hijab in France and football specifically pointed at the FFF. And for those flamethrowers that do not know, France is currently the only federation in the world that does not permit hijab, despite FIFA having lifted a ban in 2014. Yes, I will be talking about this. It's extremely timely because as we celebrate women's soccer and as I will be wearing my French kit, I will be talking about this because the 
absolutely like the forced exclusion of women to participate in many levels of society is coming through football. And I will take this, and I'm very grateful to FAIR for giving me an opportunity to talk about this in France during the Women's World Cup. So please, if you're in Paris, come out to Diverse City House. It's going to be amazing. I have chills. Uh, gosh, <laughs> I have brilliant co-host. <laughs> Jess, tell us about your trip. Yeah, so I leave Tuesday, I get there Wednesday, I'll be at the French Open for a couple days, and then hopefully at the opener on Friday, and I will be here through most of the group stage, I leave on, or there, I'll be there, through most of the group stage until June 20th, and I'll be going to a bunch of different games around the country. I don't know how I will watch a lot of it. I was thinking about this the other day. I'm like, there'll be a lot of games that I'll need to find a TV for or a crowd or something uh, in order to keep up. But I'm very excited. It should be fun. And of course, I will be at the Diversity House to hear Shreen talk. And I can't wait to hear that. And then, yeah, those are my plans for now. And I will mainly be posting about this on Instagram, both on my account, Jessica W. Luther, and at Burn It All Down Pod's account on Instagram. Oh, I love it. So I'm going to be here in D.C. If any flamethrowers, this is a very, very actually like genuine invitation. I really mean this. Please reach out to me if you would like to meet at a a bar and watch one of these, watch some of these matches. I'm just going to try and, you know, catch as many, try and make use it as an excuse to get out of my apartment some and be social more than I often am during WNBA season because I'm working two jobs basically. So uh, yeah, hit me up. I'm, I'm really excited. I can't wait. And uh, I'm, yeah, I'm just going to be watching on Fox and FS1, which have it in the United States. There's an app too. If any of you all need that, Telemundo and Universo will televise it in Spanish. BBC of course has it in the UK. Optus Sport in Australia, Direct TV Sports, which I think covers in some African countries, and then CTV, RDS, and TSN in Canada have it as well. So hopefully all of our flamethrowers can find a way to watch this as much as their heart desires. And most importantly, as always, support the people who are there giving the coverage that you want to see that's the best way to encourage that that coverage can keep happening. Hello, flamethrowers. It's Shireen here. I'm so, so, so excited to have my good friend and former Nigerian national Ayesat Youssef on Burn It All Down today to talk about her experience playing for the Nigerian national team, the Super Falcons, her experiences in Europe, and so much more. Welcome, Ayesat. Thank you very much. How are you doing in Finland? <laughs> yeah, I'm doing awesomely good. I'm, I'm doing very well. Is it cold right now? Right now it's a little bit better because we're approaching summer, but previously it's always cold. Awesome. So what would be the temperature right now? Uh, so as for today, it's um, plus 16 degrees today. Oh, that's beautiful. I think that's warmer than Toronto. Yeah. It's warmer today, <laughs> but you never know tomorrow, you know. <laughs> you never know. You never know. Among the many things that you do, Ayasat, not only are you a coach, you're a board member of the FAIR Network, you actually run the She Football Initiative in Nigeria that helps promote football and development of girls. You do so, so many things. You were also the first African woman to play 
in the Finnish league, in a Finnish league. What are you up to right now? At the moment, I'm a football coach and I'm also a sports instructor. I work with an, an organization called Munaliku. Uh, it's um, for women, for multicultural women group and uh, for migrants. And just a way of empower women and uh, to in- include more uh, migrants in social media and also to get more inclusion and to get more uh, better integration. And also I'm coaching in two different clubs here in Finland. So basically I'm working with sport-related uh, job, which I really love because I've got strong passion for sport, for both to be precise. That's amazing. So you played defense for the, for, for the Super Falcons. This kind of player that I'm actually called uh, is utility players because uh, when I was playing the Super Falcons, I played in the defense. Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes in the midfield because it depends on the coach and uh, depends on the games. Yeah. But when I when I played abroad, mostly I, I usually play from the right wing or from the left side because I use my both feet. So it depends on the coach and depends on the games. So there they place me on, on particular uh, position I have to play. But randomly, I enjoy you know my my football life. It was awesome. That's incredible. That's really important. So tell me a little bit. How long were you part? of the Nigerian national women's program? I actually played roughly 10 years in the Nigerian national team. Right. I played in the three women world championship, world championship and I won four times gold medalists at African tournament. I've also been in the Olympic in Belgium and in 2009, and I like, you know, I retired from playing actively because, uh, you know, I just decided to give the younger one chance to play in the national team and Having you know contributed my quotas for the national team, so I just resigned with a lot of respect and you know. So, but otherwise, it was awesome playing for the national team. It was a great privilege. I felt so honored and so proud of myself because uh, you know most people that knows my story back in Africa, my story actually changed my entire community because you know I haven't come from a Muslim background where I have a lot of back in those days. You know, as a girl's child, you are not allowed to do sport or play football, or do something that men don't. You know, so. I got a lot of barriers and obstacles. Um, at a point, I have to sneak out to go and play. And when I come back, I know what I actually <laughs> going to go through. But other and then I never gave up my dream because I thought like giving up is never an option for me. But things changed when I actually played my first World Cup in Canada, 2002, and that was the first first ever FIFA Under 19 World Cup. Then in Canada, so after that, um, my story changed from from grass to grass and. Uh, every other thing fall in place. So I played roughly ten years in the Nigerian national team. So let's let's talk a little bit about what you were saying about your background and your community having been empowered by your journey. Was it difficult for you as well, like understanding the nuances and challenges of Muslim women in sport? Do you see more girls from your community playing or at least having the choice? Is that what we're talking about here? I think now things have rapidly changed because of um, the way things are going on in sport. And, you know, most of the women now are like the voice to the voiceless. But like I said, back in those days when I was playing, to be honest, I never had the opportunity or to play football, given the chance to play. You know, one, as a girl child, and secondly, from uh, my, my background, and my dad may so rest in peace uh, as an imam then. And, you know, I lost my dad. I lost my dad when I was at, at age nine. So if you imagine the difficulties I faced, like, you know, the challenges and all that. But uh, the good thing is that things, uh, things actually change now and it's changing really fast, which I'm so proud and happy. And that's why, the reason why I try to, you know, give, give uh, in my thought in my only little way of giving back to society, 
to the community back in Nigeria is to empower these young girls from the street to be the voice to, to them and also to let the parents know that playing football as a, as a girl child doesn't mean you're you're going to be a wayward or you're not responsible or you don't want to go to school or you're going to do something really bad. So sometimes it's good like kind of orientate the parents and tell them why it's important for a girl child to do sport, not being deprived or because uh, she's a girl. And then, like I said, my story that actually changed my community is because I made it to the national team and that was why it was easy for people to like, oh, I should made it, now you have to go and play. Because I, I prove a point to them that a girl child can be very important and responsible and also to be proud of the, the family can be proud of her, even though she's a girl child. But you know, sometimes as a human, when I sit back uh, at some point in my life, that, okay, what about if I've given it up or if I've listened to what my parents don't, uh, don't want me to play football or if I've like stopped playing there. To be honest, I have to be sincere to you. Wherever I've been today, wherever I've traveled today, even me being here in Finland today, mashallah, is the glory of God. And also, football took me everywhere I've been today. If not for football, I wouldn't have known where I would have been today. So, so and this is the reason why I was like, no, I have to like try to promote and also to campaign for, for people to know that girls should be allowed to do sport or to play football or to do whatever sport they, they want to do. Uh, like I said, now things have really changed, which is a really good thing. And But then we just shouldn't have stopped there because you just have to keep pushing and keep pushing because yet there's not uh, a lot of equality when you compare and contrast the male and the female child in Africa and Nigeria to be besides, you know. So this is the reason why I'm like, no. And see, we see me doing this, to be honest, there's a lot of improvement and progress. So I'm so happy doing this for the, the young girls. In so kind of see me as a role model, but for me, I think it's not really enough. That's the reason why I want to do more and do more to, like, to make things change to the, the right direction. Yeah, I have a question for you. As a young girl, if you didn't get the opportunity to play in like structured leagues or games and matches, how did you get so good? Ah, I would say, you know, sometimes when God blesses you, hard for people to kind of shallow it or like hide it. I would say like, you know, football generally, some people like some people are born gifted, you know. For example, if you want to compare Messi with some other players, of course, every other player that crying, you know, it's just a kind of, because it's a, it's a guy that I've met one-on-one, like, you know, I could, I, I was honored to meet, to meet him, you know, to be honest, I was, I was so happy. But the reason is this, because, yeah, I met Messi, we, we, we drank and wine together, you know, in Olympic, I met Ronaldinho, I met, um, with Carlos, I met, um, most great, um, there's some basketball players in America, um, Kobe Bryant and all that, so. So it was an honor for me to, to meet these people because they are like when I was young then watching them playing TV, I couldn't have imagined me like you know being with them like facially and interacting with them you know. So it was a huge thing for me to see uh, these people when I met them in, at the Olympics. So I, I won't say say this uh, is because you know for me I, I'm born talented. I, I was born gifted, but then because of my background I was restricted not to do it, you know. So and. Uh, you know, when some people start playing football, they learn the techniques, the techniques from the young age and blah, blah, blah. And then it helps them a lot. You know, because when you learn football from your young age, it helps you a lot because it's something you keep doing every now and then. And, you know, when you grow up, it stays there. But for me, you know, like I say, then I always play with the boys. So I don't even have a girlfriend to play with. So I always, I'm all the time playing with the boys in the street. Sometimes we don't even have money to buy the football. We go and pick like oranges in the streets. So we sell like small poles and start playing. And, you know, it was really fun. And of course, then there was no there was no no money or payment. But the fun of it and the joy of you playing football, and you know, when I was playing with this boy, all the time I'm playing. Even at the point when I got to the um the high institution, playing in my department, you know, most of the time they are always playing like interdepartmental tournaments in school. 
but the director always allowed me to play with the boy because they felt like I'm always it was sometimes I even play more than some some of these some of these guys. So and when I was playing with them, so slowly, slowly people came to watch me and that was how I got attention of some someone that took me to a club then. And even there when I went to the club, I have to sneak out to go to play and whenever I come back I got punished for that. So at the point of, to be honest, at the point to be honest, I had to run out from, from home and like you no, know, I couldn't go back home. I was just staying with the people there in camp and then because my mom was not the one that trained me, you know, when I lost my dad at eight nine, they took me away from my mom. So to my daddy's younger sister, which eventually she changed totally to me because there was no one to stand for me. And then I couldn't even stand stand for myself because I was quite young, like I think I was fourteen or fifteen then. But then no one could stand for me. So at the point I have to stand stand for myself, stand up for myself. And when I run away from home, I was I have more challenges in my heart. Like now I start to left home because of this passion, and I wouldn't want to go back home regretting. So I have to like double my effort in the team. And luckily for me, I both in my club side because I actually captain like uh, three to four different clubs in Nigeria, which I've captained like you know many times before I go to the national team. And in the national team also, all the coaches I've played with, you know, you know like every now and then they change the coaches, and all the coaches I've played with, I'm always one of their favorite. I'm always in the first team. So every time when I was when I'm in the field training or playing game, I'm always given like if others are given like hundred percent, I'm given like one twenty percent, and this is the reason why uh, it happened when during the World Cup in Canada when I was reading the, you know the national pledge, you know I was reading the national pledge and you know at, at night and the monitor was there, everyone was watching, and of course you know it's every 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 girl or everyone uh, dream and joy to see you playing in your country and putting on your sonnet at the back of a jersey, but this thing flashed back. In my heart immediately and I kept I just I couldn't control the tears in my in my eyes so I was just crying and then the camera was just focused on me then the coach was asking me what happened and that was, this is, was before the game you know and the coach just came to me like I should because he knows me to be a very courageous very strong I hardly complained so seeing me crying you know this it, it passes a lot of messages but people don't know why I was shedding the guy try to control it. it's not something that I really want to do but I couldn't because of the, the emotion and everything so I just thought about what I've went through and now this is me here in Canada playing live and people just sit down there watching me play. I used to watch people play in the streets, but this is the World Cup that people watching me from both home and abroad, Africa and everywhere, all, all over the continent. And and then when it touched my heart, I started crying, I couldn't control it. And then my coach just told me, I should go and play, I trust you. And believe me you, and this was a, a match within Nigeria against Denmark. No, that's an, it's an incredible story for you to be emotional, and it makes absolute sense that you would be on the pitch. You would be feeling emotional. Of course, it would make sense, given everything you've been through, and that you know you were denied that right as a child, and now you're in a position to create those opportunities literally in the same place. Is the She Football Movement, is the initiative in Lagos as well? Is that where you grew up? Is that where you're doing a lot of the work? Uh, actually, it's in Lagos because I'm from Lagos State, and uh, that's why um, most of, uh, every time I do this um, campaign, I I usually do it at, at the national stadium, at the, the Lagos State National Stadium, because it's like the biggest stadium in the Lagos State, and it attracts a lot of people. And then, of course, people know me when I was playing the, the, in the in the stadium then, because most of the time when, when we're in the national team, if we have like home game, so we always play most of our own game in the, on the same field, and so this is the reason why I took this um chief football the event. Every time, every now and then, I, the tournament or the event is being hosted. And this year, I, actually, I kind of got some attention from the Nigerian FA and the person of uh, Aisha Falode. She's the chairperson of the Nigerian Women Football Department. And what's sorry, what's her name? Aisha Falode. Okay. 
So she's the, she's, she's the uh, chairperson of the, the Nigerian Women Football at the moment, and also the deputy uh, president of the Nigerian FA, uh, Sheyi Akiwumi, and some other prominent uh, you know leaders. And they were there to like grace the occasion, and they compliment me for at least for remembering my root, for giving back to the society, for encouraging the young girls and all that. Because at the point they were complaining that it's not every ex-player during my set that that are being this except this my little girl now uh, as a that is like, you know, it's giving back to the society in our own way as well. But it's something that, you know, people yeah. really love. Her. She's she's one of my favorite players, as he said, Oshuala. Is, she's incredible, yeah. Ah, uh, yes. She's my, she's my little yeah. baby. So we say like every now and then when I go to yeah. her. And she's doing awesomely well today, you know, to encourage the youngest also back in Lagos State. Yeah. Another question I have is your memories of the 2007 Women's World Cup in China. How was that experience for you? It was really an awesome experience. It was a, a good um, competition, and you know we were in the group whereby it was very tough playing against uh, America, United States of America, and then um, some other uh, strong team in the group. But um, but unfortunately, we dropped out of the you know the preliminaries because we couldn't go we couldn't go further, and we lost uh, two of the game and one just one. So and then we you know get back to Nigeria. But it was a really great experience playing in the World Cup in 2007. How do you see the World Cup having changed from 2007 to 2019? Like, what do you see that's different now? Uh, there's a lot of um, things that have, that have changed. You know, when you watch the, the, the women playing now, this is very much more entertaining and it's very competitive now. Um, because previously, like, you know, before, sometime before the tournament, they can, one can predict uh, which country is going to be like you know, win the World Cup. But then and now, it's a lot of changes. And I think I'm very happy about this because... Uh, Whereby it's more competitive, and every other country are fast, um, you know, fast raising. No one wants to like, you know, go to walk up and um, jeopardize their country or just go there for for junk play. Uh, I think um, for me, I will credit all the most of these uh, young um, um, these women because they are playing awesomely fantastic football. Even some of the game I watched uh, in the previous World Cup, it was so so entertaining, and you know, it pulled a lot, a lot of crowd. There's more people interested in watching women football now. But then we still have to do more to, you know, to more awareness for people that women football is as entertaining as the male football. So what would you actually suggest or what advice might you give or what do you want to see for players around the world, particularly in Nigeria um, or around the world? Because we know that a lot of women players have same struggles, be it Argentina, be it, you know, in Nigeria, be it anywhere, they have struggles with the federations that support them. How do you think the situation can be improved? Actually, if I also say like generally for the, um, the old world of football, I think they should try to improve uh, and increase this equality. I'm talking about the, 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 the payment aspect and the treatment given to the boys when uh, the World Cup is being played. I will try to have a little uh, flashback about the, the previous World Cup uh, last time that, were, that they played because I actually made some comments about it because um, I wouldn't understand why FIFA will allow the women to play World Cup on AstroTrop field because we all know that when you're playing on the grass field and playing on the synthetic field, it's not the same. And synthetic field, mostly when it's wet or rainy, it attracts a lot of injuries. And I'm very much sure that the uh, FIFA would never, never allow the men, uh, the men counterpart to play World Cup on the on the uh, synthetic field. So in this case, you look uh, more, put more, put more attention to that. And generally, when I talk about, let me talk about Nigeria or Africa in general. I think the FA need to do a lot more because um, uh, these girls they don't have like normal proper preparation before the, the competitions, and you want them to go and perform miracle 
over there. It doesn't. It's not done like that because when you give a player like a, a good training camp, good atmosphere, uh, their welfare should be the, the, the FA priority. Not like we just put the career in camp. There's no proper treatment. There's no there's no encouragement. There's no motivation, and there's no good payment. Like you pay the boys, like let's say for example, you pay the like for a winning bonus like ten thousand dollars, and you're paying the girls, uh, like let's say one thousand or two thousand dollars. You can see the margin that it's it's not, it's not even close. And uh, so, and this is not it's not it's really really unfair because if you even take a look at most of these tournaments, uh, these women uh, win a lot of laurels more than the the, the male counterparts, and. When they make, they make uh, men walk up or kind of, kind of celebration, they treat them like like a king and all that. So it's very very unfair. I think the, the FA and also FIFA should put more more, more kind of um I think they should put more kind of some kind of law or some so to put give them some kind of push to the FA to treat these women in the proper way that they they treat the, the, the male as well. Because I'm sure if you give them like good preparation and good treatment and encourage them more and give them kind of strong motivation, they want to do better than even what you expect. But when you treat them less or treat them low, then of course, you know, everyone wants to play good football. No play, I'm sure that no player wants to be on the field and play bad or play wrong. But sometimes you think, uh, uh, because somehow it's, it's, it's a mental thing, it's a mental thing that it affects you emotionally and mentally, that you, keep, you want to give your best to your country and then the country is not even giving you um, giving you something back in return. And sometimes they even deprive you of your right. And when you win, like for example in Nigeria, the, the last uh, uh, Nations Cup, when you win, you still have to fight for your right, like kind of protest. And if they don't give you the money, you kind of um, want to disgrace the nation before they will now come up to something and pay this, the, the, your, your right to you. And you're, you're, you're talking specifically about the fact that the Nigerian Football Federation didn't pay the Super Falcons who won the championship, they didn't pay them for a year and they had to protest. That, that That's exactly what happened. And as you're absolutely right, it's unfair. Do you have hope, though, that this will happen? Uh, I think for now, I think I have like hope or like like not um, fully because, you know, sometimes it depends on the players. You know, when you have some player or a captain that is a very charismatic uh, captain or leader, it, it goes a long way. But sometimes when you have like a weak captain or someone that, or a leader, so to say, that is easily, she's easily kind of brainwashed or kind of talked down on, then she'll just like, okay, well, it's fine. But when you have a charismatic leader or a coach that can speak for the player, okay, because sometimes the coach role, the coach's role also is are very, very important. But nobody tries to jeopardize the players' uh, um, the players' uh, interest or because you want the, the effort to retain you or to keep you as a coach. So and now I think most of the player now the play abroad. So they've seen money, they've seen things. They they know they have a lot of experience and orientations now. It's not like when back in those days when most of them play in Africa, only a few play abroad. So I think now those guys should take the bulls by the horn. Of course, to be honest, they're still complaining now. They're still owing, owing some kind of money. But in this World Cup, hopefully, I I hope to go to, uh, to France to watch the World Cup and let's see what happens because if I go there, I will try to go to the camp and see what is happening as well. So if the player can stand on the ground and fight for their rights, I don't see the reason why FA should try to you know, kind of steal from them or deprive them of their rights because we all know that every country that qualifies for the World Cup gets some kind of uh, particular amount of money from FIFA. So where this money goes to, that's my point. And sometimes we, what, what annoys me most is like, sometimes when I see here the same story that happened during my day, during my playing days and now, I it's, I got me really pieces off because the reason is that this thing keeps repeating itself, the same things keep happening. But why can't they ask this just two questions to solve this problem? Why and what? Why in the sense that, why is this thing happening every now and then? And what can we do to get this thing eradicated and forget about it once and for all and let us move to the next level in a positive way? But they, they, they just ignore these two questions, why and what? 
Because anyway, when they give the money, the money to you, the money should be given to the players according to what FIFA said. But when they get to the FA, you know, some greedy leaders and self-centered uh, leaders or the FA or whatever they call it themselves, they just divide the money to different places and they keep telling you the same story. So it, this, is, this is unfair. Yeah, and burn it all down is absolutely in support of you asking those questions. I think around the world, we see if one thing we know, and in my own research and work, these these issues are from literally from North America to South America, like Latin America to Europe to Africa to Asia to South Asia. They are literally all over the world. The inequality for women in football. It's it's an absolutely global crisis, I would say, in the lack of support financially. So give me your predictions, Ayasat, for this Women's World Cup. If you have any, I would love to hear them. France. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> America. Okay. Japan. Yep. Yep. And Nigeria. <laughs> And Nigeria, of course, I was waiting for you to say Nigeria. I just wanted to say thank you so much on behalf of the show. We are huge fans, huge, huge fans of the work you do. The You give yourself so selflessly for sport and for your community and for everybody. You are an absolute legend. And it was a, such an honor for me to talk to you, my friend. Thank you for making time because I know it's late <laughs> as well. And you are welcome back on any time. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It's, it's an honor. My guest to everyone. Uh, I love you. You're a sweetheart. Okay, we'll talk soon, my friend. Take care. I'm honored today to welcome Julie Foudy to Burn It All Down. Julie was a member of the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team for 17 years, a captain of the team for 13 of those. She played in four World Cups and three Olympics, is a two-time World Cup champion, a two-time gold medalist, and a silver medalist. In her national team career, she scored 45 goals, had 59 assists, and had 272 caps. She also played professionally, including three years with the WUSA San Diego Spirit. She was inducted into the U.S. National Soccer Hall of Fame in 2007. Julie has been president of the Women's Sports Foundation and served on their board of directors. She has many hats these days as she works with multiple organizations to promote soccer around the world, especially for girls. She founded the Julie Foudy Leadership Foundation in 2006, and its mission is, quote, building on a foundation of sports and fitness, we empower young women from all socioeconomic backgrounds to become leaders who positively impact their communities. In addition to all of that, you have absolutely seen or heard her talking about soccer on ABC and ESPN. She is also the host of the new podcast called Laughter Permitted. Julie Foudy, welcome to Burn It All Down. Woohoo! Wow, that is the longest intro ever. You, you need to I do cut that it down. With me. You, actually, you have so much more. I did want to start at the beginning and ask you, how did you get into soccer? How young were you? I was seven years old, hmm. which by today's standards is seven years too late. And I, I literally like played AYSO for one year and was lucky enough to be on the cusp of club soccer getting popular. And so I got on when I was eight years old. After a year of AY, so I got on the mighty green machine. Our name was actually the Soccerettes, Mission Viejo oh, wow. Soccerettes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, green and white striped dolphin shorts. Very proud. For people who are very good at the sport that they do, I always want to know, like, when did you know that you were exceptionally good at this? Oh, gosh, not until like my 30s, maybe. Yeah, I, I mean, well, back then, too, you didn't, 
you didn't have any national teams that you could watch. We weren't growing up watching a women's national team. It was very different. Mm -hmm. So you had no perspective of, or even aspirations. I mean, I always loved to play and wanted to play, but I never even thought about college or national team because there just, there wasn't talk about it then. So, I mean, there's some innocence and wholeness to that, that, you know, I miss today of just playing because you loved it. Right. And Mm -hmm. you're hanging out with your best buddies. And so when I got on the national team, when I was 16, because there was really no youth national team. So they had to put us on the full national team. uh, I had no clue what I was in for and what the ride would be, or even if I wanted to do it. I remember telling Anson, I was like, wait, what, what do you want me to do? You want me to go to China with who? And he's like, I'm asking you if you want to play for the United States of America. I was like, Oh, I guess that's kind of a big deal maybe, (laughs) but we had no idea. It's very different. Yeah. That's so interesting. Well, of course, you well know this, but it's the 20th anniversary of the 1999 Women's World Cup, which was a huge moment in sport in general for the U.S. team in particular. I listened to the very good 30 for 30 podcast about the WUSA, the Women's United Soccer Association, the professional league that started up uh, immediately. And it's, yeah, it's like a... Uh feel good, feel bad kind of thing. But one thing that was really interesting to me that I learned was that you recorded everything on a camcorder. Like they have all this great audio because you were recording it. And I wanted to know, like, have you always been a documentarian or did you feel like that cup was something special? Like, why were you recording everything? My friend, Tracy, who was the editor and producer on the 99ers, the ESPN film we did, She, before the 1999 World Cup, probably in like 1998, and mind you, back then there were no cell phones. Right. You didn't have, you know, if you had a camera, you had your little camcorder you were carrying around with us, but no one had that. And she, one point she turned to me and she at the time was an editor already and uh, working on small docs. And she said, is anyone capturing this? I mean, this is a pretty big deal. You guys are hosting. We had no idea. Right. Mm -hmm. But she's like, you're hosting a World Cup. Like, I feel like we should be capturing some of that content. I said, no, we're not. That's a great idea. There's no cameras around. Hmm. And she said, here, I'm going to give you my, I think it was like a high eight. They called it back then. It was a small little like camcorder. So I'm going to give you mine, teach you how to use it. It's a little nicer than your normal camcorder. Just shoot everything. And who knows, one day maybe we'll, like jokingly, she said, maybe one day we'll make a film (laughs) out of it or a documentary. And so I shot everything. And it became, you know, the joke with the team, like, ah, Fowdy's got a damn camera. But they learned (laughs) to like, yeah, they learned to work with me with it, like set the scene Mm. for me. I used to always say set the scene, set the scene. And they'd be like, okay, we're here on this trip. And and, and it was such a great glimpse into how crazy that team was, because it was such a fun group. What is, I mean, I think a lot of us fans of women's soccer, we all have the moments we remember from 99. Um, But what is your most vivid memory of that World Cup? Oh, most vivid. There's the internal memories and the external. External meaning it's not a moment on a podium or, I mean, although that moment was really nice, the (laughs) or a specific thing. It's just mostly the craziness of it all. That there was a energy and almost like a this fan crazed high pitched chaos always around us that we were not accustomed to, of course, to see that build over the course of a, of the tournament, the month, and for us to be walking out before our final game in l a 
so say it was a week before the actual game, we were in LA training and we're going to practice and there's just throngs of people and lines of people, thousands of people at practice to watch us train. And this really high pitched kind of like rock star screeched <laughs> everything we did. And we were like, what is going on? This is insane. So that's probably the thing I remember externally the most. Internally is the thing I miss the most, honestly, is just this incredible group of women that we would sit around and laugh. And we had a common room. We always shared that at every hotel that had the games and the food and the movies and everything in it. And so it was a big suite. And we always were in there just hanging out. And there was always laughter wherever we went. I mean, we never took ourselves too seriously, which I convinced is a part of our success, right? Is that we, we never got white knuckled about the pressure. We always embraced it. We loved it. We loved each other. We celebrated each other. I mean, that's, that's something that it's so hard to replicate in life, that type of bond. And mm-hmm. so I think I just, I just miss that on a daily basis all the time to this day. Did you all stay close afterwards? Oh yeah. They're stuck with me forever. Mm-hmm. I tell them all the time. I'm like, sorry. <laughs> you get me for the rest me. of your life. Um, I love that. Yeah, we. I mean, we just had that 20th anniversary reunion with mm-hmm. you know a lot of the old bags, as we call ourselves. And literally, I was just laughing with Kate Markgraf. We just called the game last weekend, the USA Mexico send off game, and we were commenting and laughing about how nothing had changed. Like everyone still had the same habits and tendencies. And I had to text acres 5,000 times because she's never responding to my text or Brandy shows up late for everything or she forgets everything. And, you know, it's like, I'm like, Oh my God. It's like, we stepped right back in line. Nothing has changed. I'm still trying to corral you crazies. (laughs) Sounds like family. Yeah, it is totally. It's super, super fun and super crazy, which I loved about that group. And you've been very successful after retirement in sports media, which we talk about a lot as women in sports media ourselves. How did you transition into media and what was most challenging about that transition? Well, the soccer part came easy because it's so familiar, I feel like. Mm-hmm. I think the thing I always wanted to do and I, and I, you know, I wish I had uh, started it earlier is, is diversify more. I always knew that I just didn't want to do soccer and I wanted mm-hmm. to try other things. But the hardest part is, you know, feeling comfortable enough and confident enough to take on, for example, a hosting role or a porter role on the sideline or whatever you're doing. I think the diversity of what I do now is what is so appealing to me. Um, I always will love the soccer, but I think that was the hardest thing for me is just learning since I didn't have a journalism background either. And I came into the game very late into my you know mid thirties is when I started television. So but that's the most exciting and challenging thing because it is just that. It's a, it's a different challenge. So I think that's probably what I love the most about it now. I interviewed Mary Carrillo for this podcast last year, and she said something very similar. Um, uh, I love Carrillo. Yeah. She's such a gem. Talk yeah. about someone who's a giant for, yeah. for us women in this industry, right? It's true. So what was the earliest international competition you played in? Was that 1991? Well, we started, I started on the national team in, in the late 80s and yeah. the, like first World Cup, you mean, or like FIFA event? Sure. Yes. The first World Cup was 1991, okay. back then called the M&M's Cup because right. I right. dare you call it the FIFA World Cup for women. 
And so now here we are, it's 2019, we're a week out from the World Cup. So when you look at that stretch of time, like what changes stick out to you in the women's game? Well, obviously more teams are better. I mean, back then you had a handful of that, of teams who could, you had maybe three teams who could win a World Cup, Mm -hmm. maybe four. Honestly, it's taken far too long. I would have thought this would have happened a lot earlier, but you don't want to hear me go on that rant. Uh, Maybe I do. (laughs) Because it's a long rant on FIFA. I mean, there's just, you know, there's been such a a hesitancy on FIFA's part, I feel, and on a lot of national governing bodies like U.S. soccer and others. But U.S. soccer, um, interestingly enough, is really the standard bearer for this. And I, I wouldn't say it has met the standard, but it is compared to the rest of the world in terms of support of the women's team. A lot of that, you know, mm-hmm. came with us kicking and screaming for them to get there. But it's taken a long time. And I and you know what I didn't appreciate or realize is how long it takes to change cultures and mindsets mm-hmm. in different countries that just are opposed to one women playing this sport, which they consider to be a man's sport, or just two women playing any sport at all. And and I feel like there was a great opportunity after we won in 1999, for example, one opportunity there that sh- clearly showed the potential of this untapped market. And mind you, it was in the United States, which is different because we've had Title IX for so many years. But there was never any urgency on the part of the governing body whose mission is to grow the game for all to actually grow the game for all and build mm-hmm. out that market and invest in that market and ensure that all these other national governing bodies are also investing in their market in that market or else they won't get any funding and they just never were willing to wield that hammer unfortunately so it's taken a lot longer but the good news now is that people are seeing ah with a small investment there's a huge return mm-hmm. and my team can get very good very quickly and i don't have to as you would on the men's side invest millions and millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars to get even competitive on the men's side. So, and what you're seeing is a a lot of the world now is, is starting to embrace women playing. Spain is a great example. They took forever and now their team is very good. The Netherlands is another good example. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, still slow to develop in South, South America and Africa on those two continents, but some, some definite progress. And sadly, it takes the players constantly having to rattle the cage. And you're seeing that a lot more where they're suddenly saying, what, what's going on here? This is not good enough. Yeah. Um, or like someone like Sadella Marley, who with the Jamaican national team mm-hmm. has literally said, get on my back. I'm going to carry you over the finish line. I mean, she's yes. been amazing, Bob Marley's daughter. So there's too many of those, though. It's like, why can't they just do the right damn thing? Let me well let me ask you a provocative question in this line. So Megan Rapino the other day was asked about changes in women's sport and she had this I'm not going to paraphrase her cuz I don't have the quote but something about thinking outside the box like that these systems for soccer and women's sport in general they were built by men often specifically to exclude women. And she said, maybe we need to think outside of that. And Brenda, who works with these South American teams, she's always saying that women's soccer should just go outside of FIFA, that they should do it on their own. What do you think about something like that? Like, do you think it's worth it at this point to be sticking with FIFA who doesn't seem that invested in this game? Or where do you see the future of women, the women's game in, in that sense, in the large organizing sense? As much as I want to bang FIFA over the head, and I do often, I am less of the mindset that, that we should divide and then conquer on our own. I think that 
there is a shift happening within FIFA. But I do think that we have to, and this will come from the players, it will come from the advocates, it will come from the media, we have to continue to push them over that finish line. I do Mm -hmm. think it can exist within FIFA, but we have to constantly be putting the pressure on them to do so. And that's what drives me crazy. So you have to see a cultural shift within FIFA, I think, and not that you have to blow it up, but you clearly, and, and that's not just FIFA. I think in a lot of organizations you have, whether it's a conscious or unconscious bias, you have men running it that don't see on a day-to-day basis, the needs for the women's team. It's just, you know, it's just, they're blind to it. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. They don't, you right. know, and, and it's not even a conscious sometimes bias, but so the more people we can get who are aware and making it a priority in there, I think you can do it within, but it, it is going to take definitely a shift in culture. I wanted to ask one partic- about one particular issue within the U.S. women's soccer. This is possibly the most diverse squad that the U.S. women's team has had, but I think we still have a ways to go on this front. So what do you think needs to change to create more spaces for young girls of color to get into the USA program? What do we need to be doing there? Oh, my gosh, this is another one that's like, I need to do a wine. (laughs) Um, And it's a long one. Well, one, we have have to decrease these barriers to entry, which are fees, right? The cost of playing soccer. And this is not just soccer. We see this across so many sports. Look at volleyball. My daughter's in volleyball right now. I'm like, holy shit. There's these barriers to entry where, uh, you know, someone from an underserved community or low income community isn't even going to look at that because there's no way they can afford that or they can't get to training or they can't get to these tournaments or they can't get, you know, whatever it is. So we've got to fix that system. And we've also got to start creating leagues and grassroots systems and opportunities within their cities so that they're not having to leave and go outside, Mm. which again is a challenge for parents who both work. How are they going to get their kid to, you know, to practice when it's not in their community? They have to drive maybe 20, 30 minutes. It's not going to happen. And then then also you got to have eyes on these communities, which we don't. I mean, look at the men's side. I mean, they admitted they had one, I think, Hispanic scout. He's like, are you Mm. kidding me? And we wonder why we're not making inroads into the Hispanic communities, we are not seeing them, right? Because they're right. not playing in the leagues that are sanctioned necessarily by U.S. soccer. Okay, thank you. And before I let you go, I would like to do some quick Women's World Cup predictions since oh, okay. I'm an expert here. Okay, so what team do you think is going to surprise us and get out of the knockout stages or get into the knockout stages, get out of the group stage and into knockout that a lot of people wouldn't expect to do that? Mm, well, Spain, I was talking about before, but maybe that's less okay. surprising now. But they're really good. We called that game in January. The U.S. was in Spain playing them. And if they had a, a, a finisher on their team, I would even say they could threaten to make a run at the World Cup because they could hold the ball so well. I, I actually like like a Scotland, for example, okay. is, is in okay. their, first, their first World Cup. They're in Group D with England, Argentina, and Japan. Uh, but that's a team that, you know, in their debut tournament could make a run. Uh, and especially now with the expanded format, because you have 24 teams in, which means 16 go on to the round of 16. So you have four groups out of the six that can take a third place team. So, oh, okay. There's, okay. Yeah. There's, it's before when it was four groups of four, you, you know, went straight to the quarters. 
you obviously can only take the top two. So now that's a huge, that makes a huge difference. So who do you see making the finals then? Who do you see at the end? Well, I think USA France are your two best teams, but if they both win their groups and then win their round of 16, they are going to meet in the quarters. I have oh, course, wow. and that would be in Paris. So okay. that's a quarterfinal you want to watch. I'm taking the U.S. to win that match, and I have to see how the brackets work out. But I think I had – can't remember what I had in the final. I think I had USA-Germany maybe in the final. Oh, okay. You think – and the U.S. is going to take it? I have U.S. taking it. I do. Okay. You, you, they're the best team. I think they're the best team. But you never know what happens at World Cups, of course. But yeah, they have the most depth. Their front three are the best in the world, I think, when healthy, and they are healthy right now and confident. So my only question mark with them is they're, they've been uncharacteristically leaky on the back line. So mm-hmm. their defense, which got them through the 2015 World Cup, is is can they shore up that back line? And, and can Alyssa Nair, who's never played a World Cup minute, uh, make some big saves and goal? All right. Well, thank you, Julie Foudy, for being on Burn It All Down. It was a real honor for us. You guys are rocking it with this podcast. Thanks for all you do. All right. It is time for the burn pile. Jess, can you get us started? (laughs) Yes, I can. (laughs) So we're in the middle of the Stanley Cup Finals. The Boston Bruins, as of Sunday morning when we are recording, led the are leading the St. Louis Blues two games to one after a blowout last night. But I want to specifically talk about Game 2, which was in Boston. Before the game, the Bruins tweeted a thank you to Barstool Sports and its founder, Dave Portnoy, for providing the rally towels for that game. Because, as we've discussed multiple times over on this podcast, Barstool embraces and disseminates racist, sexist, anti-Semitic content, including from Portnoy himself. People were upset at this partnership. The Bruins refused to engage that criticism at all. There were certain, I want to say mainly women in the media who were asking them to, and they just kind of wouldn't. They also lost that game. One of the unending defenses of Barstool is that only some of it is racist and sexist, and that we should be okay with the parts and the people who aren't that, which is just such a mind-boggling argument. But whatever, people make it. Whatever helps you sleep at night, I guess. Uh, But to drive home how much Barstool and Portnoy embrace that part of their identity, Portnoy went on fucking Tucker Carlson's show on Fox News on Friday night to, as Portnoy tweeted, quote, defend myself against the Bruins towel mafia. Yeah. I mean, first of all, calm the fuck down. Second, Carlson himself is a xenophobic, racist, sexist man who uses his Fox News platform to peddle in white supremacy ideas. It's like no matter how much the men who run Barstool constantly remind us how much they don't care about sports fans who don't look and act like them, it never seems to stick. And to see teams like the Bruins and the Stanley Cup Finals, no less, embrace these shitbags, like, that hurts. Like, it just fucking hurts. We've talked repeatedly on this program about how exclusive hockey can already be as a sport, this being yet another example of how far the sport has to go in terms of inclusivity. Of course, this particular partnership would alienate some Bruins fans, probably ones who have already, at some point in their life, felt alienated from from the sport or the team because of how racism and sexism are too common in the sport already. 
that the Bruins are swimming around in the same pool with Barstool and Tucker Carlson should be concerning to any fan of sport. And so I just want to burn all of that this week. Burn it to the ground. Burn. 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 So this week, I am burning... The fact that the French women's national team, yes, hosts of the upcoming Women's World Cup that we at Burn It All Down are so excited about. They were moved out of the legendary Clairefontaine practice center, facility training center for the men. You're like, wait a minute, the men? Why are they relevant? They are not relevant. But... But that's exactly the point. They had a friendly, just like a friendly to qualify for the Euros. And guess what? The women were actually shifted out. Didier Deschamps is the coach of the men's team. And he said, quote, the two teams shared dinner at the Clairefontaine camp on Wednesday. And then Didier Deschamps downplayed everything. And he's like, well, the women will have it after we move. They'll have it on Sunday. And there was seemed to be a little bit of um, confusion on Twitter in terms of the rules. You have to be within 60 kilometers of your training facility in order to play, et cetera, et cetera. But that wasn't made clear. But just the optics of the women being hurried out was absolutely not okay. He, Didier Deschamps actually downplayed their relocation, which was the training facilities in Domaine de la Voisine. And the point is not that Domaine de la Voisine is not an absolutely beautiful stand, like high-grade standard facility. It's that the Clairefontaine has always been the heart and the center of the French program, always. And that's where those women deserve to be. Now, I just, there's so much about this, including you know, not just the optics, but the way that getting out of your suitcase, mental, psychological preparation, and the friendly that the men were playing was not as important as, I don't know, hosting the Men's World Cup, because I cannot imagine if last year the women had a friendly, which they did, the men would be told to leave Clairefontaine because it didn't happen and it never would. As we talk about parity, as we talk about equity within federations, France, although they're hyped up about the World Cup, they have actually not shown that level of commitment to their women's side. And that's unacceptable to me. And I want to burn this. Burn. 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 Bren? I have a double burn, but it's related. And it's old because I wasn't here. And so it's, but it's still. We don't have rules anymore. So it, just keep going. <laughs> Wait, we, we had rules to begin I was with. Say, uh, that's a- <laughs> anarchy, total anarchy. Look, right. So on May sixteenth, the Brazilian national team coach Vajau, um had a press conference where he explained the call up of the players and was asked about the team's nine straight losses. And his answer about team morale was that women are simply more difficult to calm down. I want to burn that anyone would think to themselves, this is a great thing to inspire confidence in my team. (laughs) I'm going to say, you know, what technical adjustments do I need to make? I don't know. I can just rest on gender stereotypes and explain to the media that women are hard to calm down in the locker room. I know what I'll do. And that's why he's kind of a sucky men's coach too, probably. So I would have burned that entire conference, but I, I don't want to get away. I can't not also burn the fact that when this amazing tournament takes place, Comebol and the Brazilian Federation, who's kept Vajau in his job, has um, decided to schedule the South American Men's Championship at the very same time. And I know I've screamed about it before, and I'm going to do it the entire tournament. This is such bullshit. 
There is no reason they knew about the Women's World Cup for years. This obviously should trump that. They could have rescheduled it. And, oh my lord, they scheduled the final for the exact same day, July 7th. So if you thought to yourself, oh, wow, I'm Brazilian. I'm going to watch both things. You know, no, you're not. No, you're not. So the message is we either in South America don't think women will make the finals of the Women's World Cup or it's simply not important to us. So I just want to burn those things together because they're happening at the same time and it's driving me nuts. So burn. Burn. All right. I'm going to wrap us up by talking about Hank Haney, a former golf coach and commentator who was on his Sirius XM radio show this week when his co-host, Steve Johnson, said, this week is his 74th U.S. Women's Open, Hank. And Hank said, oh, it is? I'm going to predict a Korean. Then Johnson laughing said, okay, that's a pretty safe bet. And Haney said, I couldn't name you six players on the LPGA Tour. Maybe I could. Well, I'd go with Lee. Oh. If I didn't have to have a first name, I'd get a bunch of them right. Oh, stop. <laughs> oh. This is racist, sexist garbage that only belongs in a flaming pile of trash. Hank Haney has been suspended from his job. Uh, I think it was the PGA Tour that made that happen, but only suspended, not fired. And there are still people in golf who are actually defending him, saying he just misspoke or this was just a case of him being on the radio for too many hours having to fill time. Well, guess how you could actually (laughs) fill time on the radio talking about the U.S. Women's Open like it's an actual event. (laughs) Doing your research and talking about the biggest women's golf tournament of the year that's happening that week would be a great time to fill radio hours, right? Instead, he was a sexist, racist buffoon. And this just seems to be indicative of the idea of the there's a lot of good people in golf media, I do have to say. And but overall, this is very much a sport that pretty much more than any other is talked about, run by and controlled by older white men. And it's the, the way the LPGA is treated by mainstream golf media is despicable and this is just another indication of that so let's throw hank and his racism and his sexism onto the burn pile burn 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 okay it is time to lift up some badass women of the week all right let's start with canada's lawrence vincent lapointe who won gold at the canoe sprints world cup c1 200 meter event in Germany. Fellow Canadian Katie Vincent, no relation, I checked, got silver. Giselle Juarez, the Oklahoma picture, pitcher who was just named the 2019 Pitcher of the Year. The Women's College World Series is happening as we speak. If you have missed it, I am sorry. It has been phenomenal. 
The Ghanaian football team, the Black Queens, collected $10,000 to reach the semifinals. The WAFU Zone B tournament held in the Ivory Coast earlier this year. They actually got the money awarded by the Deputy Minister of Youth and Sports, which is a really big deal because it is an indication of how much these women have fought and how big the women's football movement is getting worldwide because it is receiving such huge recognition. And that is why the government of Ghana is committed to this course and is actually following through on these promises. So congratulations to them. We have... Leticia Buffoni, who won gold medal in the Women's Skateboard Street event at the X Games in Shanghai. And the University of Oklahoma legend, Lauren Chamberlain, the NCAA's career home run leader with 55, who this week announced her retirement from softball on Friday night at the Women's College World Series to fellow flamethrower Holly Rowe. Now, can I get a drum roll, please? <laughs> Our badass woman of the week. She's back again, but she just keeps doing amazing things. Caster Semenya, who this week announced that she would appeal the Court of Arbitration for Sport ruling that supported the IAAF's rule, which states that XY chromosome athletes with difference in sexual development, DSDs, can raise in distances from 400 meters to a mile only if they take the medication and reach a reduced level. Caster is saying, I'm a woman. I deserve to compete without having to unnaturally alter my body. And we support her in this fight completely. Thank you, Caster. All right. What's good? What's good? Jess, did you, do you have the same hair color you did last time I, we talked? I don't. I have dyed the end of my <laughs> hair pink and I love it. Yay! Um, that was it's really so fun. Pretty. My son dyed a lot of his hair green, which was a promise I'd made him like 10 months ago. I said he had to wait till the end of school year. So he's thrilled about that. He and I are going today to see Hamilton, okay. which is here in Austin. Aaron went on Friday because we couldn't all get tickets together because it's yeah. so popular. <laughs> so I'm just really excited, y'all. I've been waiting years for this. And then, of course, course, I leave for France on Tuesday, so that's always good. And then the last thing I want to mention that Liz Cambage is back. She played in her first game for the Aces uh, on Friday, I believe. And she, but I, this is more, she took her mom to see Celine Dion in Las Vegas <laughs> and she Instagram storied it. And I'm just really sorry if you didn't know about this until you hear it on Tuesday and they're already gone, but it's really lovely. Like at one point they're crying and I just and I, love her and I'm oh glad she's back. God. I'm glad she's in Vegas. <laughs> that's what's good. That's incredible i'm gonna go next because it's it's a little bit related which is just the WNBA season being back last night saturday night was the opener for the washington mystics i got to be there covering it and i'm gonna be there for all of their home games this year and the team just looked so good it's in a new arena it had a sellout and it's a small arena so that was only like 4200 people but it's it's a very exciting atmosphere because it's so intimate and the facilities are really nice and they held a block party for the neighborhood and are really are really working to kind of bring the neighborhood into, you know, the building. And so that was wonderful. And, you know, I love covering the WNBA in any capacity. But covering a good team is really fun. Too. <laughs> like, the players just love to talk to you and, you know, the energy is just good. So it, I, I got to say last night, blowout of Atlanta Dream made me really excited for what is possible for this team this year. And, you know, I can't I can't wait to watch it and cover it. 
Bren? Um, <laughs> I'm so embarrassed of myself. Okay. What's good in my world is seeing friend of the show, Gabby Garten, the keeper, taking pictures with Messi. Um, I know. I'm so excited for her. It's the first, I hope he recognizes the greatness in which he's dwelling. No, I mean, it's the first ever like official Argentine men and women's picture together. They had lunch together this week. And I am thrilled for them. For a lot of these women, it gives them legitimacy for, you know, in front of their families who have had to subsidize them continuing to play soccer through gym memberships and cars and transportation and all of that kind of stuff. So it really was very meaningful. I'm not kidding when I say I hope the men didn't feel like they were doing anybody any favors because those women are just amazing. Um, But it was beautiful for me to see my two favorite soccer players (laughs) together. (laughs) So I was really excited. And just as a side note, I was talking to Allie Wagner. And she told me. Name drop. No, no, no. But it's really, but it has a purpose. And she told me that the U.S. men's and women's team have never done that either. Oh, wow. No no official mixed picture. Because I mentioned it to her. And she was like, you know what? That's, you know, we've never had that photo either, at least as far as she and I knew. And I was like, oh, man, okay. Take note. Wow. Shireen, finish us up. The end of Ramadan is wrapping up. I want to say early Eid Mubarak because when this episode drops, it will probably be Eid Day on Tuesday. It will also be Amira's birthday, which is very important. I also want to say happy birthday to our beloved... Dr. Amiros Davis. Uh, happy birthday. We love you so much. I also want to wish everybody happy pride. And and then next weekend, starting June 7th, the Canadian Sport Film Festival will be happening. And I will be doing on this Friday night at TIFF Lightbox, I will be actually doing a Q&A after the film Freedom Fields is being screened. And it's being screened alongside Little Miss Sumo, the Canadian premiere of that as well. And it's the story of Libyan women's football and their struggle and strife and Naziha Rabi is the filmmaker and she will be on Skype with me for a Q&A. So please come out to that. Immediately following that, I'm leaving for France. So I will just sort of try to celebrate Eid during this week, get wrap up some other interviews that I have planned. So it's a really, really, really busy time. And that is awesome. Again, Eid Mubarak to everybody and go Raptors. Go Raptors. That's awesome. Well, listen, thank you all so much for sticking with us. We know this was a super long episode, but that is what the Women's World Cup deserves. So uh, (laughs) I'm not I'm not apologizing. I'm just explaining. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. Amen. So but seriously, thank you all. We we plan on bringing you lots of Women's World Cup updates. We're not sure how it's all going to work with every with uh you know three of us being in France, but Amira and I are going to be holding down the fort with your weekly episodes, and you know we're going to do our best to keep you updated on everything Women's World Cup, both in real time, both in analysis later on, and of course keep you know keep the focus on the WNBA season and everything else that's happening all around the sporting world. So stay with us and i think you're it, it's going to be worth it you can find us at burn it down on burn it down pod on twitter burn it all down on facebook and burn it all down pod at gmail.com and burn it all down pod.com 
to get to our website where you can also find links to merchandise. What better to watch the Women's World Cup in than your Burn It All Down t-shirt? Thank you all so much. And we will see you and hear from you and talk with you all soon. And I'm sorry.